With the first commandment, God extends an invitation for His people to come and learn what life is all about, redemption and relationship with Him. Listen now as Dr. Brown takes us through the first of God's 10 words. This is Hearing is Believing. And you know, people say strange things like, you are what you eat. I know that to get little, uh, their grandsons to eat, grandmas usually say things like, if you eat like a bird, well, you'll end up looking like a bird. Nobody ever said that to me, at least I didn't believe them, unless it was an ostrich anyway. Uh, maybe you've heard something like this. Maybe you've heard someone say, as a man thinks, so he is. Or maybe you're a little more sophisticated than that, and you've heard something like, I think, therefore, I am. But the Bible says over and over again, listen carefully, you are what you love. Over and over again, the Bible tells this story, you are what you love. And so these commandments that we've been looking at, these commandments, they touch at our very hearts. They're matters of the heart. And we turn our attention to hear the first word of our Lord today in Exodus chapter 20, start in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you for the time of worship we have had, Lord, to lead us into this moment of worship. Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to give you three quick truths this morning, three truths. Hopefully, you're writing them down. Number one, from the first word, we'll learn this. Number one, God redeems us to walk with Him. God redeems us to walk with Him. Notice the way the first word begins. I am the Lord. That's His covenant name there. That's the Tetragrammaton. It's probably all capitalized in your Bible. That you can read that capitalization in the Hebrew is Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so the first word, in the first word, he reminds them of redemption. Now, this is our third week in our series of studying the Ten Commandments, and for three straight weeks on the study of the Ten Commandments, we have seen that these ten words are properly understood only through the lens of redemption. You and I can only hope to live, or the only hope that we have to live up to the standard that is set before us is through God's action on our behalf. And that's exactly what redemption is. Redemption is God's action on our behalf. For example, look back just for a moment in Exodus chapter 19. Look, for example, in verses 3 through 6, especially at verse, at verse 4. We learn that these commandments flow from redemption. And so God reminds them of how He redeemed them, bore them on eagles' wings, took them out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt. He reminds them in chapter 19, and as He's standing before them, as He is ready for, to, for them to receive His words, here in Exodus chapter 20, He reminds them again of redemption. Redemption. And God acts on our behalf, 
And then he extends the invitation for us to experience what life is all about. And living is all about, listen carefully, having a relationship with God. That's what it means to live. You and I are made in His image. We're made to have fellowship with Him. We're made to walk with Him. We're made to commune with Him. Relationship with God is what life is all about. Now, some of you already, some of you might be objecting, and you say, that sounds a lot like I've got my guide with me, and I've looked back. You gave us that same point or something like it last time, redemption, you say. Why are we talking so much about redemption? Aren't these the ten commandments? Aren't these the ten rules? Isn't this a list of do's and don'ts? Give us the rule book, some of you might say. Tell us about something a little more practical and how quickly we forget. We who have received redemption, how quickly we forget that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Ere since by faith we saw the stream, His flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been our theme and will be until we die. Will you sing that with me? And shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. You and I can never get past redemption. It's all about redemption. We live because Christ has redeemed us. He has redeemed us to Himself and given us life. A dead man can't walk with God. A slave is not free to walk with God. We were dead in our sins until He redeemed us, and He caused us to walk with Him. We were slaves, listen to this, we were slaves to sin, and now through redemption, we're no longer slaves. We're sons and daughters. But notice the emphasis of the text. Notice what the Bible says. Redemption is something that the Lord has done. I am the Lord your God, your God. He makes this personal. He, he speaks right to their hearts. He Himself has redeemed them. He has purchased them. He Himself, don't miss the emphasis, He Himself has done it. And this is exactly what they needed most. They were slaves without hope, and then God stepped in miraculously and redeemed them. And when we use the term redemption, whenever we see that word redemption, God draws our attention to the way that salvation is achieved. Notice the terms here. It says here in verse 2, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is the one who has redeemed them. God has freed them. And there again, my objectors out there, some of you are already, there you have it, some say. This passage is antiquated. It's nothing to do with me. I've, I've never been a slave. This passage doesn't apply to me, some of you might say. 
And I want to tell you that Jesus has encountered your kind before. Jesus has encountered your type before. John records a time when Jesus told a group, the truth will set you free. There was a group of Jews who spoke up when Jesus said the truth will make you free, and they said this, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. They must have forgotten Egypt. (laughs) They must have forgotten the Exodus. They must have forgotten the exile. And then Jesus gets right at the heart of the matter, and He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Anyone out there practicing sin today? The Bible says if you're practicing sinner, then you're a slave. God has freed His people from the bondage of Egypt, and then He frees them and He takes them to the mountain. And it's from the mountain that He prepares them for eternal redemption, the purchase of blood. Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Jesus, or God took His people out of Egypt, and now He will go through great lengths to take Egypt out of His people. He took His people out of Egypt. Now He's got to take Egypt out of His people. And how's He going to do that? Well, he's going to tune their hearts to sing his praise. And the way that he tunes his heart to sing their praise, or we should say the melody of the praise of God, is the ten words that you and I have before us. These words are life. These words are freedom. Now, don't approach the Ten Commandments like the attitude expressed in Psalm chapter 2, as if God were freed His people by Egypt only to enslave them with a worse type of enslavement through giving them these Ten Commandments, as if God released the bonds of Egypt and then put His own bonds on them. Don't approach the Ten Commandments like Psalm 2. Listen to what Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed. And listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. The nations are raging. Listen to what they say. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. They think that God is keeping them from something. God is not keeping us from something by giving us these commandments. If you believe He is, if you believe that these commandments are an example of God keeping you from something, then you are believing the old lie of the garden. And what was the old lie of the garden? Did God say? And that deceiver will come to your ear and to my ear, and he'll whisper that all of our lives, did God say. And if that isn't enough, if you're convinced of what he said, then the lie will twist what he said. The serpent says, you won't surely die, for God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you'll be like him. God's keeping it all for himself. He's keeping you from life. But by giving us these commandments, God is not keeping us from life. Listen, 
He's keeping us alive. He's the Creator. And as the Creator, He has the right and obligation to prescribe life. What does it mean to live? Just ask God. He'll tell you. You get a glimpse of what it means to live by looking at the Ten Commandments. Life means walking with Him, listening to Him, obeying Him. And anything outside of His life, listen, anything outside of His life-giving words is death and dying. Walking with God comes through redemption, which leads us to our second point this morning. Number two, God reveals Himself through redemption. I am the Lord your God, He says. In other words, I am unrivaled. There is no one like me. I introduced my kids just the other day, and Tom and I were talking about our eclectic taste of music, or rather, we were talking about his eclectic taste of music in our uh, staff retreat, and so I'm going to introduce a little bit of my, I don't know if it's eclectic or just silly, but anyway, I introduced my kids to that old song, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. No, you can't. On and on and on it goes. And my little girl is convinced at the end of the song, if you've not heard it, go YouTube it or uh, Apple Music it or whatever you do to it, go find it. My little girl is convinced that the lady wins. Of course, Ezra and Titus, they're convinced that the man wins. But the whole point of the song is to demonstrate who's better than the other. And God, He comes through the Exodus, and He puts His power on display. And the way that He puts His power on display is through redemption in our fallen state. He demonstrates His power. God reveals Himself through redemption. In our condition as fallen creatures, you and I can only know God through redemption. And thankfully, He redeems. What does it mean by saying He redeems? It means that He who is high and mighty, He comes to our depths. He comes to our grave to save. And we cannot know God. Consider this. We cannot know God apart from a cross. You cannot know God except through a cross. God reveals Himself through redemption and through the exodus. He puts His redeeming power on display, and the backdrop of His redemption is the false idols of hope the Egyptian society worshipped. The Nile, where Osiris brought life from, was turned into blood. He has no rival. Hequit, the frog-like Egyptian goddess of fertility, was revered. The Egyptians, they wouldn't even kill a frog. But God overflows the land with frogs, and then He kills them by the thousands. He has no equal. God puts the Egyptian gods of fertility, crops, livestock, and health in His crosshairs and brings them to nothing. There is no one like Him. And in the ninth and tenth plague, God singles out the mighty Ra. He is the God of the sun and life. And so what does God do in the ninth and tenth plague? He causes darkness 
to fall on the land, and then death descends on the firstborn. And the Bible says that there was a cry in the land of Egypt such as there never has been, nor will there ever be. And there is this God saying, to whom will you compare me? Ten plagues, an outstretched arm demonstrating that he is mighty to save. Each one of those saying with convincing proofs, I am the Lord your God. And then he says, don't give yourself to idols. Instead, worship me and me alone because only this God is worthy of our worship because only He can create life. Only He can redeem what was dead and make what was dead live again. And so from this awesome, this awesome backdrop comes the first word, you shall have no other gods before me. And what on earth does that mean? Well, Luther said, listen to this, the first word requires us to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The Heidelberg Catechism says, question, what does the Lord require in the first commandment? Answer, that for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, prayer to saints or to other creatures, Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God and trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. God's coming right at our heart when He gives us this first commandment. In my studies this week, I ran across Peter Lightheart, who says this, and this is a rather extended quote, but it's worth every ounce that I give you this morning. Peter Lightheart, he gets right to the heart of the first commandment, and listen to what he says. Do you fear the opinion of others? Are you paralyzed by worry about how your father or mother will evaluate you? You set up an idol, a substitute judge, public opinion, a perfectionist father, a hypercritical mother. Have you ever thought, if only we had a bit more money? Our lives could be happy. If only I could get a better job or enjoy a flawlessly decorated home, life would be good. You're looking to a counterfeit savior, money, success, velvety comforts. Lightheart continues. 
when you're cornered, do you lash out and blame others? Do you have so much trouble admitting your sin that you scapegoat your wife or husband, your parents or children? Do you flagellate yourself for your failures or perceived failures? You're an idolater dumping sins on scapegoats or treating yourself as a gimrack or flimsy Jesus. Whose imperatives, Lightheart asked, do you obey? Does the voice in your head come from advertisements, popular, popular songs, YouTube, or Netflix shows? Who is your true Lord, not your professed Lord, but the one who actually speaks with authority in your life? If the voice in your head says, do this, but the voice at Sinai says, don't, which do you listen to? When you silence the Lord's voice, you've deafened yourself because there's an idol in your ears. And the idol wouldn't have gotten to your ear without first being in your heart. Number three this morning, God requires our obedience. God requires our obedience. And the reason, we must give Him our whole heart. Look at the links that He has gone to save us. He has moved heaven and earth to show us Himself. He is worthy. As a preacher used to say, if I had 10,000 lives, I'd give them all to Jesus. Wouldn't you? But you only have one. Oh, if we had 10,000 lives, would we struggle with giving Him just one? He wants every part of you. He wants your whole heart. He must require our absolute obedience to Him because He is Yahweh. Who will you compare Him to? And this God who is incomparable has set His affections on you. This God has redeemed you, called you by your name, and invited you into fellowship with Him. He comes at just what we needed the most. He comes to capture our hearts. It's one thing, again, to get the people out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of the people. And our hearts 
are dangerously predisposed to idolatry. Your heart, my heart, is dangerously predisposed to idolatry. As John, as John Calvin famously said, man's nature, so to speak, is perpetually a factory of idols. Your mind, your heart, is an idol factory. But you know what the real problem with idolatry is? The real problem with idolatry is that we trade images. We trade images. You see, God made us in His image. And as the image bearers, we are to worship and obey. God, He's fashioned us intricately so that we could have fellowship with Him. We find out our meaning. We find out our purpose. We find life, listen, by walking with God. And this is why the first commandment is so important. Because we have marred the image of God on our lives through idolatry. Instead of hiding His Word in our hearts to not sin against God, we hide from God's Word in our sinfulness. And it's in our hiding that we remain blind. It's in our hiding that we remain in the valley of the shadow of death. It's in our hiding that we remain fearful. God created us to stand in His presence. Exodus 19 says, as a kingdom of priests, as a royal priesthood, as His image, as his image bearers, we are not to bring another image before His face, which is literally what the, tree, what the Hebrew says, you shall, bring, you shall have no other gods before my face, or bring no other god before my face. And so we're invited to be a kingdom of priests. What's a priest do? He goes and stands before the face of God. And so instead of us standing before Him with a whole heart, we bring false worship before Him. And when we violate that first commandment, we demonstrate that we are double-minded, James would say in chapter 1 and verse 8, and unstable in all of our ways. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. It's impossible. As much as you like to multitask, as much as you are very ambitious to do all kinds of things, you cannot serve two masters. You see, the reason that you can't is because God created your heart large enough for Him alone. Only He can feel the largeness of your heart, and we can try to fill the cracks in our heart with other things. But you know what? When God shows up, He exposes the fault lines. He exposes the cracks. He exposes the void. You can try this morning to fill your heart by having the perfect spouse, by having the adorable kids, the great paying job, even the puppy who brings your slippers and paper to you. You can try to fill that void by sex, procrastination, dissatisfaction, misery, and none of it is going to fill the void in your heart. It was Augustine who said, God has created us for Himself, 
and we are restless until we find our rest in Him. If you're restless this morning, it's probably because you're an idolater at heart. You have yet to surrender. You have yet to come to this God and let Him be your satisfaction. So you see, right from Mount Sinai, right from Sinai, it becomes increasingly clear to us that we are hopeless and helpless. Who is able for such things? We need someone to reach down to us with love and affection. We're predisposed to idols. What are we going to do? We need someone who is gentle and gracious to come to us and redeem us. We need someone to restore us, not destroy us. We need someone to give us not what we deserve, but what we don't deserve. And friends, let me tell you, that's exactly why God sent His Son. That not whoever lives up to the standard, that not whoever does the ten words just right, but whoever believes in Him will be saved. You see, this beloved son, he did not let what separated us from him keep him from coming to us. And when he comes, don't miss this, when he comes, he comes as a friend of sinners. You know what that means? That means he's my friend. (laughs) And that means he can be your friend too. He comes, as Isaiah tells us in chapter 42, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus saith God, the Lord, who created the heavens and outstretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, spirit to those who walk in it, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, God says, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I will tell you of them. And this Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, he says, come to me. All who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, Jesus says, upon you. Learn from me. Listen. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's exactly what you need. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the invitation this morning. The invitation is come, you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Come, arise, and go to Jesus. He will embrace you in His arms, in the arms of our dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Would you stand with me this morning? Father in heaven, thank you for being a God who doesn't have to change his standards in order to redeem. Thank you for the cross, which is the point in which the wrath of God was satisfied, and we were redeemed. Father, for the sinner there this morning who needs to rise and go to Jesus, may they remember that as they come to you, any who come to you, you will by no means cast out. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown. Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.